the Broken Clock podcast returns. And we're going to do something a bit different for the next few weeks. We're going to do a deep dive into stoic virtues because with the way things are going in the world, I really do think, well, Mouse and I agreed, we have to break down things to first principles. And so we're going to start because we like to complicate things with, of the, course. I, I think, the least understood of the, the stoic virtues, which is temperance. Mm-hmm. Now, most people, when they think of temperance, it's don't drink alcohol. <laughs> but that, that's that's not what the Stoics thought of temperance. The Stoics defined temperance as basically moderation or being satisfied with enough. And yes. oh Lord, Mouse, do we need some of that now? Oh, good as we do. We have a uh, so you can split temperance is kind of a tripartite. Um, virtue in that uh, the Stoics made a very, very specific um, point of breaking it down into its different components. Um, and to them, it was a, uh, a mixture of lack of arrogance, mm-hmm. um, which they call also modesty. The reason I pre- prefaced it as lack of arrogance is because we also think of modesty as modesty mores. You know, you got to be right. decent. You have to dress up. That's not what the Stoics um, said, uh, yeah. meant. So that's why I said lack of arrogance, which is modesty, uh, discipline, and self-control, not the Laura Branigan song, Oh, the night <laughs> is my world. Not that song, um, but yes, self-control. Yeah, These avoid, are the avoiding three. excess. Essentially, exactly. uh, avoiding excess, avoiding extremes, right? Yes. Oh. Seneca said that pleasures, when they go beyond a certain limit, are not pleasures, but punishments. Yeah. And that's, I think, where we're at in the world right now is that people are living in extremes are being rewarded mm-hmm. in, instead of moderation. Uh, it's funny, I took one of those, what political party are you most aligned with? Because, of course, in Canada, we have five, now technically six, though one is crazy and the other is falling apart. Apologize to the Green Party. No, you know what? I don't apologize to the Green Party. They did this to themselves. That but, sounds like that sounds like uh, that sounds like the U.S. right now. <laughs> well, for people who don't understand what's going on with our Green Party, they elected a, a very, very smart uh, black Jewish lady to run the party. But it seems like they didn't actually want her to run the party. They wanted her to become ah. a kind of mascot for the party. So when she started to try to actually be a leader, they didn't, they take, too, they, yeah, they didn't take too kindly to that. So and, they wanted her to be a Queen Elizabeth and, you know, wave, wave, touch the tiara and say, hey, I'm here, guys. Pretty much and not uh-huh. actually lead. And, you know, the, it caused this whole thing where they tried to have her removed right before, you know, they were predicting an election was going to happen in the fall, which it did. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of things. And you know, they're, they're doing terribly. The Green Party usually has up to around 8% um, around the country in like little pockets here and there. They're pulling at like 2% right now because... So they're, so they're, at, the, they're at the level 
They're slightly above the level of the Libertarian Party in the United States. Right. And, and there's a shining example of what happens when a party has a lack of discipline. And, and you know, this is one of the things the, the Stoics were, were talking about. I mean, there's a lot of talk of systemic racism and all that stuff. And some people roll their eyes. I think it's worth having a discussion about how something like this happens and how women women tend to get elected to those positions when somebody just wants a, a, an appropriate looking figurehead on failure, right? We can mm -hmm. say we brought in a woman, but they don't actually want to follow her as a leader. Exactly. And, and I, I do think that, that 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 is rooted in arrogance to me. It, it, it's panic, yes, we live in a world of optics, but I also think it's arrogance that, you know, these political parties are so filled with kind of backroom lifers. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, what, what Ayn Rand called, oh, take a hit. <laughs> oh, that's early uh, this time. It's early this time, but it's very appropriate because Ayn Rand talked about the politics of pull. Mm -hmm is when you, it, which is, a, she called it one of the dirtiest, the, the dirtiest um, game in politics. When you trade, you know, you trade favors for this and for that. And of course, it always happens behind, of course. Uh, behind the curtain backstage because most people would be absolutely disgusted and, terror and horrified that, that, that even that deal was even struck. See, of course, I can't, I, right now, I, right now though, I think that most Republicans would not be um, I, just because the normalization of the absolute worst behavior. See, I think that I've been I've been reading a fair bit about why, you know, I don't like to lump the millennials in with young people anymore because the millennials are pushing 40. So <laughs> Gen Z. I feel so attacked. Well, I'm not a millennial, but. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I know quite a few millennials. I'm not that far off a millennial, but, you know, yeah. these people we're are into buying like, We're into like the, the late, we're, we're both into like the late end of Generation X. Yeah, I, I made it into Gen X by like two, three years. So yeah, same cool. Here. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Gen Z, even though I'm a Canadian they they basically are in an incredible they have an excess of cynicism they are mm -hmm. extreme cynics and i think that's why the really illogical messaging that you know the ndp up here led by jagmeet singh uh, is able is is riding high on a message of the liberals are bad the conservatives are bad you have another choice that's resonating with people. And, and this is one of these examples where when you take an extreme view, it's very easy to be led down the garden path. And I think this is one of the things the Stoics cautioned against is uh -huh. that, you know, yes, logically, there are things you can point to in both the liberal and conservative parties that are terrible. You can point to things in every political party which are terrible, including the NDP's climate plan which is getting an F from experts for being incredibly expensive and not really doing anything practical. Mm -hmm. But 
it is one thing to say they're both bad. That does not give people a pass in looking at if one party is objectively worse than the other. Than the other. And I think that this sort of, because the Stoics were not cynics, the cynics, the cynics were a completely different school, but I think Diogenes would be beating people over the head with his clay pot right now, <laughs> you know, because this is not true cynicism. This is- Right, We've, we have an episode about that. Listen to the episode, True Believer. Yeah, yeah this, oh, True Believer, well done. Um, <laughs> this is, you know what, you touched on something with the true believer thing is we live in an age where Silver Age inspired comics are everywhere. But the the hopefulness and idealism that those Silver Age stories were rooted in hasn't come with them. No, no. And we keep hearing this thing about modern audiences. You, Mouse, you saw me earlier yeah. on, on Twitter. Um, I should not have been tweeting when I had shingles. But maybe I should have been because, oh, my tolerance for bullshit was at an absolutely low ebb. I know. I didn't say off the top I had shingles because I'm trying not to think about it. I'm still dealing with some nerve pain. But modern audience, we have to appeal to modern audience, is code for pablum of a certain blandness designed mm -hmm. to not, not challenge particularly fragile 20-somethings. And people get mad when I say this, but I, I keep coming back to this, that when I was a young adult, we had much more challenging content. And some of it wasn't challenging. Some of it was just the fucking man show with girls on trampolines, right? That yes. was just bullshit. And how did anybody let that on the air? different attitude back then <laughs> I, i'm serious like it was a different attitude back then to this day i have trouble with jimmy kimmel because of mm -hmm. his participation in stuff like that the idea back then was if you don't like it don't watch we're gonna throw a bunch of stuff at the wall you're also talking about the era that gave us things like tank girl right um, I remember Tank Girl. Yeah. And, and so there was sort of something for everybody back then with media consolidation. Now everything is very samey, samey. Is, am, am I one of the few people who actually liked the movie version of Tank Girl? I didn't mind it. I mean, I, I was very partial to uh, Lori Petty. It, it, Lori, yeah. it wasn't the same aesthetic as the comic. No, it wasn't. But that musical number... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're 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 ahead of me as usual, Predic Mouse. Predictably, predictably, I go the musical number. Well, no, it wasn't actually the musical number this time, but bravo! Uh, it, it's this one of one of the things that I think temperance uh, helps us understand is, and temperance is stoic virtue is this tendency. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I think that's what inspired this one, partially, is the freaking out over media. Mm -hmm. Freaking out over media is a shining example of a lack of temperance. I don't care who does it. And it's one thing to critique stuff, right? It's, it's one thing to point out, for instance, as, as I did when Mortal Kombat 11 came out and got called a racist for it, uh, that you do not 
solve the problem of slavery by taking away everyone's free will by controlling the timeline with an iron fist to get what you want, including the family that would have been wiped out by numerous butterfly effects because a African-American man is a product of the slave trade. So you do not have a slave trade, you don't have African-Americans. That's a logical position. Of course, it was profoundly unpopular at the time. Of course, then, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe introduces it and everybody goes, yes, you are right. It is bad. Not thinking yeah. about all the stuff that came before it. Yeah. But to me, to me, um, it completely lacks self-control discipline. And in some ways it is very arrogant to lose one shit over any change. There, there are some changes that people are inexplicably fine with. I don't tend to be okay with these changes. I, when, when they made the Asgardians in the Marvel Cinematic Universe aliens, I'm like, aliens. okay, I get why the whole pagan gods thing. All right. You know, they did the same thing with the Doom movie. They're not demons. And then Wonder Woman came around. Right. But for some odd reason, I don't know why they accept it when it's Wonder Woman. Like nobody had a problem with Ares being there. I, and, and this is the thing. It's nonsensical, right? Like people don't freak yeah. out that the nine realms are no longer realms. They're planets. Okay. Planets. Where is planet Jotunheim? Where is planet <laughs> Svartalheim? Where are these things? I, no, they, they, they fine. They're, they're buff men with very pretty hair. No one cares, <laughs> including other men. I don't know what that says, but oh Lord, you changed Tila's haircut. Oh God. Freak out. You know, it doesn't make any sense. There's nothing fundamental about Tila's haircut in Masters of the Universe. There is something kind of fundamental of the depiction of Norse gods because, hey, that is someone's culture. <laughs> I feel so bad for Norse people. You know, they're they're almost as white as I am. I don't know. They might be whiter than I am. I guess the universe gave them ABBA to apologize <laughs> for, you know, the cinematic world just consistently desecrating their, their traditional gods and turning their trickster god into a fucking fascist. But none of this makes any sense. Like this is I know. the point. And, and this is this is a critical thinking podcast this you know this is what we're drilling down on and the freaking out about this stuff is just one 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 guy i know he's very smart he's very into these culture war groups because mm -hmm. he, he thinks he can actually reason with them um, oh booby <laughs> we yeah we we debate this all the time and you know what i really admire the nobility of the struggle. It's like the patron state of lost causes thing because he, he actually does. Who is that? Was, was that St. Anthony? St. Chris, Christopher? I don't know. Oh, that's right. St. Anthony is, oh God. St. Anthony is the one that you go for marriage. Oh, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh dear. There, there is a. Infer nothing a, from that. <laughs> there, there, there is a, there is a, uh, a sex, well, there's a tradition that to, uh, to, to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, to get married, you grab the image of the saint and you put him upside down. Right. Uh, because, you know, magic is illegal in Catholicism. <laughs> uh, and um, there's an opera 
uh, there, there is an, a zarzuela called Luisa Fernanda that begins with, uh, it's a flir flirtation between the chorus men and the chorus women. And she goes, a San Antonio, como es un santo casamentero, pidiendo matrimonio, about how, so ma how, many, how many of the girls are, you know, asking St. Anthony to get them a husband. Right. Uh, or, um, no, but no, it's St. Jude. Uh, St. Jude, the, okay, right, St. Jude's Hospital. I mean, there's a, there's a there's a saint for everything. The, the, they keep. I think there's even a saint of the internet. Oh, I'm gonna have to look that up. Outside of uh, Neil Gaiman's New Gods and Catalan's Sorry, American uh, saint, Gods. Saint Saint Isidore of Seville is apparently the uh, the the patron of the internet, uh, which was funny because he was the Bishop of Seville in like 600 AD. <laughs> he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. <laughs> he was the Kang, the conqueror of his day. He's originally he got a direct. From, he's originally he from got, the 31st century, but he went back he, to be a Catholic saint. He got a direct message from God telling yeah, him. Yeah, he did. He got DM'd <laughs> by God. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, at, in my in my ongoing debates with with this very smart guy, um, very noble guy to keep kicking away at this. Right. Um, he observed one time where people got really super nasty over this anime girl character that I pointed out really didn't make much sense. And I was having fun. I didn't consider it making fun. I was having fun with the absolute mm -hmm. mess of a backstory on this <laughs> character. And, and these that people tracks. who who should have known me better than they did, started just freaking out, like just completely losing their minds. And this guy said, you know, he had the same gut reaction that it was, it was almost, an, he described it as basically an embarrassment that he didn't see all these problems with this character. He just liked it because it was a pretty anime girl when, you know, that's verboten, that is taboo now. But he said it, he, he caught himself feeling very defensive that he didn't catch any of these problems. But he said, but I have a modicum of self-control and I don't uh -huh. understand why these other people don't. And, and you know, I said to him, self-control is no longer rewarded. I'm not sure what to do about that other than you know, do a deep dive into how Thomas Aquinas took the Stoics and Plato and Aristotle and twisted it into a bunch of Catholic Gordian knots that when it all spit out, it was, yeah, basically the same core tenets, but in the, in, you know, in the uh, example of temperance, it ends up being not the same thing at all. Mm -hmm. Right. It ends up being temperance to a modern understanding is practically the opposite of what the Stoics understood it to be, because mm -hmm. complete abstinence from alcohol is is not a moderate response. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and this is this is where we get into this issue of language and words really not meaning anything anymore. And, you know, part of this is we live in an age where there's white, which is a race, and then there's whiteness, which is a social construct. And the minute you go down that rabbit hole, you're guaranteed to get nowhere because people spend the whole time fighting over terms. 
And this is, this to me is not just an inherent flaw in postmodernism. Yes, I'm going there. I'm so sorry, everyone. Oh no. Um, yeah. Take a hit, people. Yeah. Take a hit. Yeah. It's an inherent flaw in postmodernism's focus on feelings instead of what you can prove. But it is not that alone because there were some checks initially on that in postmodern thought. The problem is a bunch of people took postmodernism and postmodernism did. So it isn't just my lived experience. It isn't just I feel that. It's taking it's taking the I feel, it's taking the my lived experience and warping it into, my husband commented on this other day, there's a difference between my experience and my truth. My experience, fine, that's your experience. But my truth suggests truth is subjective. Mm-hmm. And that the minute, the minute someone believes that truth can be subjective, you have You're a complete, well, you have a complete paradigm shift philosophically. And a person who believes in absolute truth and therefore absolute right and wrong as first principles cannot effectively communicate with someone who believes truth is subjective. And there we find our problem. And there we find, I think, the root of the extremes of the modern age. What do you think about that, Mouse? I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, you've seen the. Um, <clears throat> uh, I am breaking a. Uh, I'm breaking one of the uh, suggestions of Stoicism, which is if they are wise, don't. Uh, you know, if they are wise, let them be, and if they're a fool, don't. Um, no, it is if they are wise, don't argue with them, and if they're a fool, don't waste your time on them. Mm-hmm. I have wasted a little bit of time this weekend uh, over a couple of fools regarding the vaccine, but you can see, you can see in the way that they reply to me that they truly, truly are absolutely impervious to facts. They have their own set of alternative facts, and my God, I wish someone would just, ooh, I don't know, throw a throw a, a balloon, throw a balloon of water and dough at Kellyanne Conway. Uh, so she has to spend the next three months combing that dough out of her hair and glitter for saying, <laughs> so uh, yeah, water, dough, dough, and glitter. Dough and glitter. That's worse than an itching curse. Yeah. For, for daring to utter the, 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 the words alternative facts, um, because that has been the linchpin. That has been, that has been the, the hill upon the, 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 uh, the Baden Hill battle that these people want to die on, that you can somehow create alternative facts. If a, if a fact is alternative, then there are no facts. Well, that's that's subjective truth, right? I yeah, mean, it, I, it's subjectivism. I, I got into it. I actually got, I still can't figure out whether I was truly angry or I was just kicking these guys, this guy's tires earlier this week because um, he is, is a leftist. And he's one of these people that every time I say, you know, both extremes are guilty of these, uh, the left calls it my truth. The right calls it alternative facts. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a, it's a lack, it's a lack of objectivity. 
It is, it is a complete rejection of objectivity. The, yeah. the truth no longer matters. Um, and he brought up the Young Turks. Now, oh, people may not know, I had a run-in with Hassan Piker, Cenk Uyghur, the, the guy who owns the Young Turks, nepotistic hire nephew, who just farts around on the internet and can now afford a house in Los Angeles, a $3 million house in Los Angeles. I don't begrudge the guy that. I begrudge him for sexually harassing me over that thing I said about slavery earlier, which was over the game Mortal Kombat 11 and Jax's ending mm -hmm. in the game. He called me a femcel over that, which is a female incel, which is a direct attack on whether or not I can get laid that's sexual harassment. Big liberals, just sexually harassing in public with impunity. Nothing happened. The guy blocked me for a while and then unblocked me. I have no idea why he couldn't even stick to that. But this guy's response, this big liberal, right, says, I know how you feel about them. And I said, I'm sorry, is sexual harassment just my feeling? And then he did the thing you should never do when you're wrong. He started uh -oh. explaining. Uh -oh. And, you know, you misunderstand me. And I said, oh, yes, uh -oh. because the problem is clearly my faulty perceptions. And that's it. And then we get to the I don't understand why you're so upset. I'm just trying to explain myself. And what I ended oh, up God. saying to him was, you have a code. You have a philosophy on this world, which is when people state something happened to them, you are supposed to believe them. That is supposed to be truth, not a feeling, the truth. Now, in my case, there was evidence. It happened in public. He sent his slavering horde of fans after me over a fucking video game. And it's very telling that nobody went, hey, maybe you shouldn't attack a race because he also called me a white feminist. Um, mm -hmm. What that has to do with a story about a black man, I have no idea, but, uh, and a femme cell. But nobody said, hey, maybe we shouldn't be bringing up identity politics over a video game. Maybe we shouldn't be attacking anybody over a video game. Get her, right? But I, I said, you have a code. You have a way things are supposed to be done. You are now violating that code. That code. I can't take you seriously. And as far as I know, that's where the conversation ended. And that's pretty much where I'm at. That's pretty much my stoic exercise. That if somebody can be consistent in what they believe, I will follow along. If I can see a predictable pattern even though I don't believe in it, I can give them credit at least for consistency. They legitimately believe in some sort of first principle, right? The minute people start playing fast and loose with that, I see no point in continuing to speak to them. It is, yeah. as you quoted earlier, just a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is moral it is at best moral laziness intellectual laziness at worst corruption cynicism. well yeah, totally. i know corruption because cynicism 
cynicism is somewhat conscious, right? Cynicism is a belief system. If somebody is just a cynic, okay, I can follow that, right? But if somebody is, oh, my side is right, and then they don't even follow their own fucking precepts when it counts, no, that's corruption. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and, you know, people, I'm, I'm sure this person would be horribly offended to hear me accusing his actions of corruption. And notice I said his actions, not him as a person. But that is what happens when you, you, don't, you don't think and behave consciously based on deduction and induction based on first principles. Your thought processes become corrupted. You know, it's like everybody's affected by the fucking mind stone in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> There's no moral culpability for anything because mind stone, right? Yeah. And, and yet anybody can tell them they are intrinsically horrible anytime they want because they did bad things. There's no examination of moral culpability in a world where there's this stone that just anybody who touches it except for the synthoid gets completely fucked up. Is it synthesoid? Synthesoid. That's what vision is. Um, I, yeah, I forget. Yeah. These, I think it's synthesoid. Um, but, uh, synthoid is something else, but, uh, you know, any, any, any fleshy person who comes in contact with this damn stone gets horrendously fucked up and, but also the timeline's been tightly controlled, but we can distinguish between heroes and villains in this universe. I know Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to this every week, but it is just such a sign of the times for me that, millions and millions of fans i feel like i'm the only one calling bullshit on this reality um but that that's really the world we live in that's the modern audience that's what people like no one is responsible no one is at fault and you can hear the air quotes in there because responsibility and fault aren't the same thing right, right. no one's responsible for anything but you can invoke fault at any given point to to create drama or place blame or create pathos for a character. You you feel connected to a given character because they're being blamed for things. And, oh God, blame is bad. Why would anybody blame the protagonist for something? Don't you know you're supposed to like them? And that's pretty much how people are are going through life how adults are going through life right now i witness this over and over and over again and it's just it's all it's all ego it's all arrogance there's no discipline there's no self control it's all just masturbating monkeys you know just trying to jump from pleasure to pleasure with no real plan and then wondering why they're miserable <laughs> and this is I why I'm, that's pretty accurate yeah this is this is why i'm glad we're talking about temperance because i want to i, I want to challenge mouse one of the things with this because in fairness the writing of the stoics there, there isn't like one combined volume it's not you know there's no nicene 
Nicene conference uh, for the Stoics. It was individual writing. And so, you know, these definitions of the writings are kind of all over the place. But I want to examine the idea of enough because I don't think enough um, is the same for each person. And I think there's sort of an Overton window uh, on what's considered enough. Uh, but I think, you know, for instance, some people don't need arts and culture in their life. Other people do need some. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Stoics would, would define based on, let's face it, a lot of them being nobility and or scholars and growing up in fairly comfortable lifestyles. I, I don't think they would define enough they would def- because it's moderation, right? It's not the it's not the aesthetics, right? It's well. You also have to remember that the founder of the of the of the, the school, Zeno, was yes. a slave. Yes, yes. And so I don't I don't think when they say enough, they mean the bare necessities, like food, shelter. That's it. I don't well, think the, that's what they're talking about. No, they're talking about. You know, the, the Stoics were not against, this is interesting. So um, the Stoics are not against pleasure, mm-hmm. but they are against the overindulgence of pressure. And in fact, right. they suggest that you do not become accustomed to it, that, that you should, from time to time, expose yourself to some type of hardship that prepares you for the eventuality uh, where you might find yourself in dire circumstances, where you might, you know, lose your job, lose your home, right? Uh, you know, so that you are prepared to deal with that. You know, so you're not accustomed. You know, you're not accustomed to, you know, fine dining every night. Mm-hmm. You know, Epictetus, as I call them, Epictetus used to, you know, suggest, you know, every now and again, sleep in a bed that is not completely comfortable. Uh, you know, cover yourself with, with just, you know, with, your, with bare thread, uh, wear clothes that are not elegant, uh, you know. Uh, so wear basically simple. get a cat, because they'll yeah. throw up on your bed in the middle of the night and put holes in your clothes. Exactly. So the, the whole point is, you know, yeah, your life might be pretty nice right now, but there is no, there are no guarantees of anything yeah. in the world and so by being able to use luxuries and comforts but not depending on them but becoming you know by being tempered enough then you can go you know tonight i am not going to gorge myself right i have a simple soup and bread yeah uh you know i'm not going to be i'm not going to buy silk Today, you know, cotton will do just fine. Right. Cotton and old jeans. Right. Things of that sort remind to remind yourself that, and this is true. Um, the, the, the Stoics talked about a lot about fate, and and by that they mean the, the the random or seemingly random because nothing truly is random. Everything happens, you know, with a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. We just call it random because we don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, be, life is truly random. You could be sitting pretty, and then. You know the stock market crashes. Uh, you get shingles. <laughs> you get shingles. You get shingles. 
fucking yeah. shingles, man. But enough about me. But enough about <laughs> me. Uh, talk, talk about not being able to wear finery right now, man. Oh, it's like everything. Why does this bed sheet feel like sandpaper? You know, <laughs> calamine lotion has been my friend. It's true, though. I, I remember when COVID first hit and being very, very unnerved by these and and i am going to invoke a gender just because it actually is relevant here um quite a few men started complaining to me that they needed sex and that they couldn't get sex because of covid and they were explaining their you know lashing out of temper Uh, on a lack of sex uh and they uh, said this to me. Of course, these, are, these were these are straight men, right? That's an important detail. If they were gay, I wouldn't feel nearly as as uncomfortable because I don't think they realize that they just suggested that sex is a regular necessity for life, not a pleasure, and that they they basically outed themselves as feeling entitled to sex from women, from women with a female partner. And I, it, it, and this is, I mean, even Maslow has sex as a need. And I think that kind of ruins sex personally, because it's supposed to be fun. Like, yes, it is something that perpetuates the species however let's face it that's not how we use it most of the time in the modern world and if you are using a very pleasurable activity to scratch an itch it's it's like you were you were saying earlier mouse you're not getting you're not getting the joy out of a great lay or silk sheets if you have it all the time Mm-hmm. You're losing your ability to take pleasure in a great meal if it's what you have all the time. Apparently, Anthony Bourdain, you know, the parts unknown guy, yeah. he would eat very, very simply when he wasn't touring the world, gorging himself for a living. Part of that is oh, I can that I can he, see that. Yeah. He kept the weight off, but he also said, you know, it it it's it's the juxtaposition, right? He mm-hmm. he does a very simple palate so he can truly appreciate the food when he goes out on the road. And I mean, obviously if Anthony Bourdain was better at stoicism, he'd still be around today. He wouldn't have yeah. you know, taken his own life in a, in a moment of despair, but see, that's the other thing that appreciating pleasures, I believe and why I think temperance slash moderation slash avoiding excess is so important is that, that if you appreciate the highs if if you truly stand in the moment when something is amazing miraculous and sublime the lows don't hit you as hard because you know the highs are temporary and therefore you know the lows are temporary what do you think about that yeah it's very much it's the difference between knowing, oh, this is a rare and special thing, a yeah. treat, versus feeling entitled to it. 
or or like it is some commentary on you some indication of your intrinsic worth that you're going through a bad time mm -hmm. i actually watched this it's this interesting little movie starring peter dinklage well actually star starring jamie dornan from 50 shades of gray but it's about a reporter that inter got the last interview with Hervé Villachez, you know, Villachez. Tattoo from Fantasy Island, yes. the, the guy from what, the man with the golden gun, the, the, little, mm -hmm. the little person who threw bottles at James Bond. Um, Peter Dinklage is utterly brilliant in it. But it's basically this, this it, it's fear and loathing in Las Vegas meets the hangover, um, meets... I don't know my dinner with Andre, um, but it, it, it is this, you know, booze fueled with strippers and all this stuff, but it's basically the, 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 the life story of Hervé uh, Villachez. And there's this moment where he talks about the woman he married disastrously. And he talks about how he really didn't love her. He just needed her to love him because somehow mm. if she could make if he could make her love him that would that would be meaningful somehow that that would mean you know he had some he had some provable worth and at such a poignant moment in part because peter dinklage is just a fantastic actor yes but he is it i thought that was a very interesting truth that even the concept of love has been corrupted by the excesses of society. That it's not about being in love. It's about other seeing being validated by mm -hmm. the idea that you are love. And that's, I mean, that's a hell of a thing to realize. And that I think is another thing about stoicism is it, it takes you, when you actually start drilling down on this stuff, it takes just some pretty dark truths about humanity. And it's almost like what, what, what you know, the British acting schools say about, it's not getting into character that's hard, it's getting out of it. Getting out of it. Because getting um, out of character is the difference between acting and pathology. Mm -hmm. And I've, uh, we've, for example, one of the valuable things that I got from the Stoics, from reading the Stoics, is mm. you know how I felt about my career as an opera singer because of how screwed up the opera, um, the opera industry is. Oh, like we so both fucked. We both know a brilliant soprano whose career is constantly um, getting challenged and blocked because the way because her appearance is not what some people deem. I, 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 I you hear me spluttering. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, Versus. listeners, this girl is gorgeous. She is both pretty and like sexy. I don't get it. This and has a gorgeous voice. As as somebody who does appreciate in moderation the finer things in life, this lady is one of the finer things in life, and I I I I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, stoicism just makes me sit in my I don't get it and get well, that I don't get it. And it, it helped me because I walked away from the industry in, right before the pandemic began. Talk about timing. Yeah. 
um, because I remember the thing that got me thinking really hard because up until that point I was I was trapped in the you know I'm 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 past 30 and my career has nicked off and which is something that gets repeated to you over and over again in opera mm -hmm. if your career doesn't take off by you know by 30 you are done um which is kind of hilarious because my voice teacher got her break in her 50s uh, and became an international they, they uh, say that about all arts all the arts granted um, i was too told i was too old for something the first time when i was 28 years old so i guess i'm precocious yeah, it's just... stupid but it does sting i hear you it's it's very hard to not get infected by that yeah and then i, I read marcus aurelius and in one moment he says something that made me go oh and he says does an emerald lose its luster because it is not admired mm -hmm. and i went oh you know like in the in um let's get some shoes video mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i was like oh Oh, and then I turn to the industry and go, fuck yeah. And then I just went to me because uh, <laughs> I decided that, you know, it, I was, I was chasing a validation. I knew, I knew the quality of my voice. I knew my technique was solid. Right. I knew I was a good musician. So did it really matter? And it's, it's not just me going, I'm great, but always trying to be careful and always talking to uh, people that I knew mm -hmm. that had, you know, a good taste and had the appropriate knowledge. So I was always corroborated. They just did not happen to be powerful people in the industry because usually powerful people in the industry, a lot of times don't tend to know that. Um, no, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yeah. It's the, the administrators are usually the least um qualified to be artists um but you know but they're the ones who control which artists get hired um so that's it's always it's always one of those what the hell is going on here but well, it's like the uh like film critics or tv critics tend to be failed something in the film and tv industries so of course yeah constantly uh bumping up against that and i mean their opinions can damage you at least temporarily and and you know that they've got their bitterness and there's there's really the number of interviews i have done with people who it was a super pleasant interview they didn't ask very many challenging questions and then they just do this hatchet job voice um but uh, uh did i do that yes i did um yes you did but, but, you, but didn't, you did you did speak no untruths though because that is what well, they do but it's the sort of thing of I would prefer them challenge me on certain things and allow me to address these critiques, these criticisms, rather than they be nicey nicey to my face, especially the guy that, you know, didn't watch his voice recorder, the reporter from that outlet that rhymes with nice and so we had to redo the entire interview again a couple days later and oh then he still did a partial hatchet job where, where not only was he shitty but he actually attributed he was using a line i did on this live comedy show 
attribute it to Ed the Sock, the, the male part of the comedy duo, who is also not an actual person, but to take <laughs> a jab at him. And of course, I went on YouTube and went, not only does the guy just not understand the reference, because I think it had something to do with Moby or something like that, you know, the, that DJ from the late 90s, mm -hmm. early. Um, but he was using a joke I made to take a swipe at my male That's... comedy partner because the male comedy partner was the only thing that mattered in this little twerp's mind, big progressive newspaper outlet. And, wow. you know, I'm, I'm being a bit uh, venomous for effect here, but those are the moments where, is it angering? Yes, but I can only get so angry be because until it becomes funny, because it is just, so petty it is transparently petty and to me that's when you tell me about opera that's what um that's what it sounds like to me it's just a bunch of petty people hiding behind gravitas in an art form focused on the sublime yeah so i yeah it pretty much and it's yeah. why i went okay you know this is not important to me because I had to, I had to do a reevaluation of my priorities. You, mm -hmm. you are you doing? Are you singing opera because you want to sing opera and you love the music? You can sing it anytime. You can get, you can get, you can get a small chamber orchestra to collaborate with you and a couple more singers, and you can put on an opera. Mm -hmm. um, you can sing the arias in concert. You can do all of that. So, yes, sure, and a theatrical production is nice. Yes, um, but. That can happen in a community theater setting. You can have a, you have a whole bunch of little companies. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the question you you ask yourself is: Are you singing opera because you want to sing opera, or are you singing opera because you want to be recognized for right. singing opera? Do you want to be the next you know glamorous uh, Renata Scotto, uh, whom my voice teacher once met? She was my my voice teacher was shopping at Saks, and oh. out comes her in. Uh, in pulls in this limo and out comes Renata Scotto dressed in mink from yes. head to toe, mink cape and oh. absolutely glamorous. Uh, but, you know, my voice teacher had, you know, had, had headlined at the Met. She sang Lucia La Memoria next to Alfredo Kraus. Mm -hmm. She's done all of those things. Like she has sung with some of the biggest names on the planet. But you go to her home and it's really nice home but it's not a pretentious home. Mm -hmm. She dresses elegantly, but she doesn't dress like she is, uh, you know, like she is uh, Renata Scotto. Mm -hmm. And that, and you know, that's a little, that's the little differences. Like she will not name drop, you know, most of like <laughs> a, a, until a year into studying with her, I had no idea that she had sung with Alfredo Krause, who is my idol. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know, most people go, oh yes, I have sung with Alfredo Krause and I have shared the stage with Renata. <laughs> And I was in the wings when so-and-so was singing in that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I said, you know, because we started talking about the tenors I listened to. Because mm -hmm. that's always important. You know, who you listen to. Yeah, yeah. Because you might pick up bad habits when you're first starting. Right. Uh, our friend, unfortunately, was told that she shouldn't see, listen to anyone, uh, which was is also the wrong thing, too. You you have to listen to some singers. Uh -huh. um, and Moderation. I said, you know, Moderation. Moderation, exactly. Yeah. So I said, Alfredo Krauss, I said, oh, really? You know, he was a, he was so 
nice. He was always a gentleman. I went, you sang with Alfredo Krauss? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I got all the stories. But, but in her, I could see someone who did it because she loved the art form, who just happened to get big. Mm -hmm. um, and when she was big, when she had the fame, she didn't do what some of the other people did and acted horribly. Um, she just had her moment. She sang her roles. And when her health got bad enough, she had sci terrible sciatica, absolutely mm -hmm. terrible sciatica. Um, when it got too much to do, she just stepped aside and she just let it go and became a teacher mm -hmm. um, because, you know, she could not walk on stage anymore right, right. without pain. Right. Um, but, but that's the thing. Whereas you see some of these older uh, opera singers who had their heyday but are now desperately clawing to the fame and the fortune and the, the recognition. And I, and I, that, you know, all of this, all of this, and it hit, hit right before the pandemic, which is funny because mm -hmm. now a lot of people have dropped out of the industry because the pandemic forced them to face that reality. When you yeah, look at, Broadway is apparently going through a similar reckoning. Yeah. And yeah. you look and go, is that what I want? Am I doing this because I want people to go, oh, he's an opera singer. How fantastic. Yeah. Please give us an autograph. No, you know, I, I'm not doing it because of that. I love right. opera. I love the music. Yeah. So. I can keep my technique up for as long as I can because if you have good technique, your voice will last forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't need the approval of a maestro. I don't need the approval of this, uh, of any of them to love what I love. So I can walk away from the industry. I don't need the validation anymore. And that is what allowed me to just be able to step back and go, yeah, you know what? I don't need this. I can make my own life. At the, uh, mm -hmm. by, by, by that point, I didn't depend financially on the industry like a lot of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, because this is a th this enchantment that has happened over several years. It just reached its final form. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it, it became the Genova on a, in, I think it was February that I talked to you and I had that really long talk and I told you, you know, this is because I said, this is what's going to happen because mm -hmm. I just, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not, and it's, and, you know, I think that any industry that tells you that 40 is too old when oh. in opera, the older you get, the better you get, if you I, know what you're doing. I still do not understand the idea that 40 is too old in an art form where the most important thing is if you can sing. Like I, I, it's, it's bizarre to me, you know, I understand something like gymnastics where yeah. once you, the hit, body tears away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get why a lot of these, you know, actors and action movies, they take every shitty movie they can while they're, you know, in their thirties, because once they hit around 45, it, it gets harder to put that muscle back on right the body just doesn't respond to the tricks the same way anymore right and if you're a dancer for example by the if you have done regular work by the time you're 40 your joints start oh, and, to... that, and that's because a lot of these things there's no way to actually do it correctly like in yeah. in a perfect world yes there is but unlike Unlike singing, where it is possible to get correct technique, at least 80% of the time, the tiny little mistakes 
you make um, or just not great stage conditions or something going wrong or you slipping and falling, you, yeah. you gradually destroy your body. And mm -hmm. there's, it, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the difficult things about dance. You have to be kind of crazy. Um, and it's interesting. You were talking about approval because one of the things I learned, you know, being the co-host of a fairly successful, I mean, okay, by Canadian standards TV show, but it did get on <laughs> in the U S that objectively is a mark of a certain amount of success. Mm -hmm. I phrase it this way because it never ever feels like approval. It never feels like success. You ask anybody who's at even the top of their game, right? You don't feel like you're on the mountaintop. You constantly feel like you're hanging off the side because the it's just constant negativity, constant. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. The brain is designed as a protective feature to focus on the threats, right? Not the good right. stuff. You have to actively stop and take moments and, and really appreciate them. And for me, the, the coolest moments were when you're collaborating with really great people. You know, you're, you're doing something and it's working and everybody's doing their job and you're making something really cool. Those are the moments that, that true performers live for. Those are the moments that are enough because once the thing's made, of course, you know, four or five levels of administration have gone through and shitified the fuck out of it. And, you know, um, yes. <laughs> that's what we call the, the notes process, the shit of fire. Um, and, you know, certain things happen. There were sound problems, a drive failed, things happen. But that moment where everything's just kind of clicking and you're with a bunch of people who have put aside the bullshit and are just making something, that's the point, right? Like mm -hmm. that's enough. And that to me is how I interpret stoic temperance, right? Because I don't need the critical acclaim. Good Lord, I'm a woman in my forties. I'm never going to get that from this industry. I'm a, a, I'm a white ginger woman in my forties. I'm never going to get that from, my, from this industry. I mean, you're talking about an industry that tells women in their twenties to get a boob job, no matter what their breast size is, right? Yeah. Me and Christina Ricci, get a reduction. So you get better parts, you know, people who are more flat chested. Oh, get a little bit more. It's stupid. It's stupid. Why is the size of a woman's chest have anything to do with the content of her character? It is absurd, but that's mm -hmm. stuff you can't control, right? That is, mm -hmm. you are never going to get enough from that system. You have exactly. to, you have to find the point in the process where you can hit a state where it is enough. It does feel satisfying. And that to me is what, you know, self-control and discipline and the avoidance of excess takes you to is those moments. Because if you're constantly chasing the perfect scenario, well, it, it just doesn't exist. Like Plato taught us that, right? Yeah. But it's amazing how many people 
how many people chase that to the point that they enjoy nothing along the way? That, that's something I did when I was younger, that it was always in pursuit of a goal because that, that's what they train you for, right? The goal, the goal, the goal. It was an excess of delayed gratification and self-discipline. You, you can have an uh-huh. excess of discipline. It, it, I, I am living proof, right? If, if you don't even moderate things like self-control and self-discipline, you don't enjoy anything. It's the, it's the exact opposite of these people who think they need sex or they need silk sheets, right? Um, you, if, if you are constantly in pursuit of some goal, which is, is again, what people, it's bashed into their heads in school. You know, one of, one of the poignant kind of side things in the Shang-Chi movie, is how you know Asian parents force their kids to get degrees they don't really want in fields they don't really care about, and then they're disappointed when your kids park in cars for a living, because they want to have a life. They they don't want to be what was Aquafina's character like a, a oceanic biologist or something like that. It was something in the sciences, right? It it was right. a degree, but it wasn't her passion. She didn't know what her passion was. She had no damn opportunity to figure out what her passion was because everything was do this, do this, do this. It was an excess of, I don't, what do you call this thing that parents do to their children? That they, it is, it is well-meaning, but it is excessive that, that, that they are so afraid that their children will not be successful that they they ramrod their kids into into making decisions before they've actually had an opportunity to figure out who they are well ultimately at the core core of it it is control they are they are afraid that their children will not have will not be successful that they will not be happy but they are unwilling to recognize the fact that they have no say in that. The parents, yeah. once a child is an adult, they have no say in that at all. Oh, they sure try. But that, that's interesting because it's like, it is, you're right, it is control, but I don't think, I don't think like, parents actively is, go, I'm going to control my kids. Well, no, it's a fear reaction. It's yeah, a reaction yeah, to yeah. fear. Control happens as a fear reaction. And it's the same thing my, my grandfather did when he, uh, uh, when he C-blocked my father's desire for a career. My father wanted to be an opera singer. Um, and my grandfather said, nope, you are going to be an electrical engineer. My Oof. father went through it. He hates electrical engineering. To this day, he, outside of what he did in his 20s, he has never, ever, ever done anything as an electrical engineer. Uh, he hated it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my, my grandfather wanted to make sure that my father had a successful life and he might, and he kind of did, but he did it in spite of what, what, in spite of what degree he was mm-hmm. forced to, mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to, to get. Um, and of course there is also the, there's also vanity too. Some parents yeah. doing, do it out of fear. Others 
want to have the successful son. Mm -hmm. They want to live vicariously through the successful son uh, and also want to have the bra you know, bragging rights. My son's a doctor, you know. I, you know who told me that? When we were, I'm gonna name drop right now, but um, it is a bit of, it is a bit of wisdom. We had the, the privilege and, and, and the pleasure of uh, going to Mark Hamill's house for an interview right before Star Wars episode one came out because we wanted to talk to him about it, but his Black Pearl comic book instead, mm -hmm. of, uh, uh, instead of Star Wars. And so he said, yes. Um, and I highly recommend the Black Pearl. It's uh, you know a vigilante that gets his gadgets from Radio Shack back when Radio Shack was a thing. Uh, was a thing. <laughs> but he said that his brother was the big success in the family, yeah, Dr. Hamill. And it, it was so, it's like, whoa, Yoda moment, you know, like if even this guy gets it, what's the point? Like one of the most recognizable screen stars, um, of course, at the time he was the has been of Star Wars, but I want to live like that kind of has been, let me tell you, he had a very, he has a very good life. Of course, now no uh, yeah <laughs> right no way you, you will not say that about mark hamill now um but uh you know if even somebody who was a pop culture icon is the relative disappointment in his family why the hell would anyone chase that and it, yeah. it's this constant struggle right because we all we all have that, that it's almost like lingering, like phantom tadpole tail where we're still <laughs> trying to chase our parents' approval. Yeah. Like th there's this, there's this phantom limb that never quite goes away regarding parental approval. And you, you do sort of have to squash that down every, it's just a human thing, right? You spend, you spend your early years, that's all that matters. If your parents approve of you, you're good. If they don't, you don't, you're not. And, you know, if you're, if you're um, lucky enough to get approving parents, then good for you. If, if you don't, well, you're going to have to do more work as an adult. There's just no way around it because you're constantly going to feel less, you know, you're, you're constantly going to feel that rejection. Um, mm -hmm. but it isn't, we, we talked before about fate and, 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 you know, the idea of destiny. I don't think fate and destiny are the same thing. Um, you know, it was someone's fate to say have disapproving parents, right? right. But disapproval is not their destiny. You, you right. can go beyond that. You can take, you can acknowledge what you started with, because I think that's very important. That's part of self-discipline, right? Yes. Um, you, you have to have a, a conceptual mentality. You have to actually acknowledge reality. Um, but that's the first step in going, okay, what do I do with this? Like, how can I make this more than the sum of its parts? How do I say, this is my origin story, not my sentence you know right just because just because you have a you started with a tricky fate doesn't make you destiny's child right not the band. oh god what did i just do say my name say my <laughs> name when no one is around you yeah 
Can you oh, pay boy. my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? I mean that that name. Let's let's not get started on Beyonce and her, her turn towards uh, uh, Yoruba Shun iconography. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's true. It it is telling that a lot of the Stoics didn't start. I mean we see Marcus Aurelius is this, you know, ruler, but he was adopted, yeah, you know. He was adopted and he did not want to be an emperor. He wanted to be a, a philosopher. It's to the point that he actually co-ruled. He wanted mm -hmm. nothing to do with the military stuff. Like it, it Marcus Aurelius is fascinating as a biography, um, you know, the same way as, as much as we can rely on the biographies from, from antiquity, right? A lot of those were um, a good story, shall we say. We don't entirely yes. know, but the, the mythologized biography is very interesting. Like you said, Zeno started as a slave. These aren't people who were born into... I mean, uh, not Zeno, Epictetus, for crying out loud. I just realized it. No, no, Zeno, Zeno started as a, as a bankrupted, shipwrecked tradesman. That's right, he was a uh. tradesman. He was a tradesman. Epictetus was the philosopher, the the the, the slave, whose leg uh, was um, uh, permanently wrecked by his slave owner. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like any of these these guys had easy lives, especially oh wow, back then when social class was seen as some sort of anointment from the gods. Mm -hmm. You know it. It, they're they're rather exceptional in terms of social mobility. It's almost like back then getting a good education actually did get you a good job. Not yeah. always though. Sometimes, you know, you ended up drinking hemlock. Though it was a good ride before he did that. And that was a choice. Yeah. And that's why he that's why he was not a stoic. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it's interesting to me how many people born into relative wealth end up exceptionally miserable. Mm -hmm. Because when, when you have no real struggle, I think you sort of create it for yourself. The brain needs some Testing. sort of, I, I read a thing, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of stock in these single studies that are reported on in, in, the, uh, in the news. So please take this as just a, a point of fancy to make a point that they did a study that too much free time actually causes anxiety, similar to having not enough rest, like not enough free time. Right, because you, ended up, a, you, en you end up with a choice paralysis. Yeah, you end up with, I'm not doing anything. Um, they, they, and I've seen other studies that say that a, a lack of challenge actually does create anxiety in people because it, it never, you, you form your sense of self, you form self-esteem through overcoming challenges. And mm -hmm. if everything is just handed to people, they, they can't actually form a functioning sense of self. Right. And, and I think that, you know, getting getting into the whole temperance and, and you know, a happy medium, um, I think that's something else we're dealing with and, and why a lot of people under 30s, we'll say, tend to find these extreme viewpoints 
is I think their brain actually might be seeking out conflict because on some level, they're the generation that educators tell me won't do assignments just for the sake of learning. They won't do something unless they're marked on it. And of course, then teachers aren't allowed to give zero. They're not allowed to fail anyone. So what does the mark really mean? Right. Um, I, I do think that the lack of moderate challenge um, with these, these, let's face it, you're talking about the college educated class, right? Which in America is mostly, not entirely, but mostly middle to upper middle class to wealthy kids. The cycle of poverty indicates that, you know, you're least likely to have a college education if you're not of at least moderate means. But then every so often you get someone like Michelle Obama, right? Not Barack Obama, because they make him sound like he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, but, you know, he was raised fairly well-to-do compared to Michelle, who grew up in Southside. Mm -hmm. But Michelle legit pulled herself up by her bootstraps and and rose and i mean i think her intolerance for bullshit and talk about a woman happy with enough right i mean she could have gone that uh do-over route and run for president herself and probably have won but she's like nope we're done and i respect the hell out of that because mm-hmm. it was the right call. I, I really think the Obamas are not political creatures. They're good people. And so they were sort of consumed. I mean, just watching Obama's rapid aging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's the opposite of the portrait of Dorian Gray. And it's like someone smashed that portrait. <laughs> oh, yeah, like all like full. He aged like he aged like 30 years and 12 that's what the presidency does to to a good man. And I, I really give them, I mean, yes, they went into media and people slagged them for that, but I, I, I am really impressed with the fact that that family did not get caught up in the machine of politics. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't think that this was, you know, they, they, they did it, they did what they could in the time they had they have daughters that are in college right now. They sacrificed a lot of their formative years to do what they did. They're done. And I think there's a real lesson there um, in the fact that it doesn't feel like people will respect you walking away and people will flat out tell you, um, you know, you'll be seen as this, you'll be seen as that as you walk away. But if you have the stomach to do it retroactively, you know, in retrospect, people do really respect that because it shows somebody who's control, who's in control. There's a, there's a certain discipline that it takes to walk away from something, not run away from something, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you think we covered temperance? I mean, it's a difficult topic that's poorly understood and we could probably talk for like five hours on it, but 
it's food but that for would thought. not be temperate <laughs> that would not be temperate exactly i i'm trying I think, to do it i think it i think that really the the core of temperance is to be able to step back and look at your life and look at the choices you're making right now and ask yourself is this really what i should be doing if you are up at 3 a.m twitter fighting with someone on uh, on twitter mm-hmm. not getting sleep is that really what you should be doing see uh, I'd argue that every so often that's okay. If it's every night. Yeah, if it's every night, you are going, you you have lost your temperance. You have lost your moderation. You are engaging in a destructive excess. If you if you if you log on to say a uh, a social media to do something very specific, but then you find yourself irresistibly attracted to scrolling, doom scrolling. I, I have, do not understand doom scrolling. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, 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 something's missing in me. I don't understand doom scrolling. Like, May, maybe it's an anxiety response. I, why maybe? would someone do that? There's so many things lately. And, and you know what? Getting sick has actually made me more doom scroll repelled. Yeah. I, huh. I'm just you know what so I do? At, I, I'm so at the point where if you're rolling in other people's shit, you're not, you're not making stuff. Yeah. Right? And I broke, I broke my, my rule a couple of days ago because oh. I saw something egregious that the libertarian party uh, tweeted. And I went, you know, I, I'm going to say something about it uh, because at this point, the libertarian party has now gone the way of the Republican party. They're completely cuckoo. Um, but then again, that was really only just a matter of time when the Tea Party movement started and yeah. then got co-opted by the alt-right, you knew the crazy was on the way. Um, but 90% of the time, because I decided I'm going to stop this, I'm going to stop doing this on the regular, I created lists. Face, uh, Twitter lets you create lists. Mm-hmm. And um, I found a whole bunch of artists who post nothing but the art that they are doing mm-hmm. and art that they have finished. Uh, and occasionally pictures of their cats. Mm-hmm. So I have my list called artists that I follow. And the description is the artist so pretty. And when I feel the urge to check Twitter and go, <laughs> uh, I do not go, oh, my friend's feeds. I'm, I go and open that art feed so I can see the cool art that other right. people have made that uh, they're working on. And from which I can take some tips. Um, uh, the the some of the games some of the stuff I've been doing on with the uh, boss fight art portraits for example mm-hmm. I have that's the video uh, game we're working on the video for game. people who don't follow my other content yeah I have for example I have uh, taken a couple of things that some of those artists are doing and I go I want to try this out and I tried it on a portrait hey it worked sometimes mm-hmm. it's oh god it's shit no uh, I obviously <laughs> need more practice with this I'll try this some other time See. but. Uh, other times it works. And see, that is moderation, uh, an exercise in moderation because I have the urge to go on social media, but I'm using tools to mm-hmm. moderate my exposure to the shit show. I am deliberately avoiding the shit show, looking at stuff people, you know, people are sharing that is good and positive. And that way I am not letting myself drag into like 3 a.m. Uh, nasty grand fights see it's interesting because i'm i'm looking at the way you engage in a different way 
And I, I think it might just be because of what I'm trying to work on in terms of moderation. Because I just have the urge to just tune out everything, even remotely political right now. I'm just so sick of it. And I actually force myself to just, you know, scroll through a few different news headlines, like a few different news services, check out the, force myself to check the Twitter hashtags once a day, just so that I don't, you know, go Lose into touch. that extremity of sticking my head in the sand. And mm -hmm. what I see you doing with this libertarian anti-vaccine stuff is you're actually, you know, you're fighting against excess in your own way. You're at least doing some sort of counterbalance in the public square. I ended up doing that myself with the whole Texas abortion law, right? Um, I put up a tweet saying I haven't said anything about this law because I really don't want to fight with, you know, a bunch of men on this who this, this issue will never impact them. And mm -hmm. oh, of course, a bunch of men got offended <laughs> with the use of the term impact because it impacts me if you say she's going to kill my kid problematic 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 but miss the point of i don't want to argue about this furthermore a couple other people basically concerned trolled that i said men and some men meaning trans men get pregnant let's face it those weren't the men that wanted to fight with me about it because uh -huh. those trans men can have their own baby therefore the issue does impact them that is not the subset mm -hmm. of men i was talking about but these guys just wanted to fight. And so I did what I call my, my moderated excess approach. You try to shut me up. It is a force multiplier. You want to mm -hmm. know what I think? Strap in, Sparkies. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Because silencing tactics will not work. And I think it eventually no. ended up with me posting an article where I said, people have a greater right to a McFlurry in the state of Texas because of some uh, fraud suit that's being brought than, you know, a safe and legal abortion. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, the whole abortion thing is something I find particularly ugly because it's all emotion on all sides. The, mm -hmm. the actual practical fight is, is inherently winnable for the pro-choice side. It is often not the argument that gets made because it can't fit on a bumper sticker, which right. is uh, if you force someone to do anything that is in this case, literally and figuratively forced labor, you are forcing a woman to rent out her body to what the pro-life side believes is another person for nine months, 10 months, really. We yeah. people tend to get that wrong. But um, so they are forcing someone to be basically a, a, a Airbnb, a long-term Airbnb rental for another person with no compensation. Mm -hmm. This is and long-lasting right. long uh, effects. Well, yeah, there's articles apparently that people who are forced to have abortions are uh, uh, significantly more likely to live in poverty and a whole bunch of other indicators, even though only yeah. half, only half of abortions are um, for the poor, 
that, yeah. that's something and that is a real, is and a also real misunderstood thing. And then there's a, the lasting consequences of pregnancy in, well, in, in the body. If, if it's something like 700 people in the US every year die of complications in childbirth, like what, 700 people? Yeah. What? Why is it that high? What? Like that, that blew my mind. But, you know, it's, 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 it's coercion. It's coercion. It's forced. And if you, if you, if people think that life is so important, compensate that person for their service, mm-hmm. right? Compensate that person for the space that that's simple, easy done. Oh no, you don't hear that because people just lose their minds when, and, and I mean, the fact that it's Texas just, just tickles me in its own way because you can shoot people for almost everything in Texas. I, I, I recently learned that in the US, it is better to actually aim a gun at someone than fire a shot into the air because firing a shot into the air that you see on TV all the time, right? That warning shot, no, 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 that's reckless use of a firearm. That bullet could damage, could harm yeah, co- someone else. come down and potentially hit someone else, yeah. Right, it's the same principle that uh, the cops were charged uh, with um, in the Breonna Taylor case for the bullets that hit the neighbor's house, not the bullets yeah. that hit Breonna Taylor, right? But like, that's Texas, right? Um <laughs> So you can shoot people for trespassing, right? But a person is allowed to trespass in another woman's, in in a woman's body, and that's fine. That makes no sense. That's an inherent contradiction. And the only way you get around that is excesses of appeals to emotion. You just bombard people with things like baby killer and this, that, and the neck, pro-life, life, 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 blah, blah, blah. And you just overwhelm, you flood the zone. That's all this debate is. And there's absolutely no winning on those grounds. All, all it mm-hmm. is is increasing noise. It's a fucking Wagner opera. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's the wall of sound production, right? It's, yeah. it's uh, for some odd reason, uh, have you, have you noticed lately that music is too loud on TV shows now? Yeah. It's, everything is just getting loud. Everything is just getting loud and drowns out the main point. It's so weird to me. Um, Let me tell you, I have, I hate nothing more than what, than in the middle of watching a show that's getting fairly quiet and very intimate. Then the mm-hmm. comment goes, we are farmers, la, 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 la. Yeah, all the blasting the, commercials. I thought the they weren't blasting. allowed to do that anymore. Well, it's, it's funny because Disney Plus, do you notice Disney Plus's volume is lower yes. than, than your regular TV? And I get that, it's for little ears. I, I appreciate what they're doing, but the problem is when you switch back to your regular television, <laughs> you get blasted. Like, it, it just, a good try, Disney. But um, so so I'll close on something that may sound a bit weird, but it actually is sort of appropriate to because it actually is a, a metaphor for for temperance in a lot of ways. Uh, but I finally watched The Emperor's New Groove a couple oh, days ago. It gosh, was I remember that movie. It was one of the Disney movies that I just missed for no reason other than I missed it. <laughs> I had no idea what is it about. I had no idea that it was an arrogant 
um, Aztec emperor who got turned into a llama <laughs> by freaking Eartha Kitt, who steals the movie. I, I know Eartha Kitt is fabulous oh in that movie. Oh my God, Yzma's so good. But it, it, I had two things, three, three, three realizations watching this movie. One, Tom Jones has an unusually unique voice and I never realized it before until I was listening to the beginning. It's like, that is Tom Jones. It wasn't even, yes. is that Tom Jones? That is Tom Jones, bless that man. Um, but also you could never make the Emperor's New Groove today because it's David Spade playing an Aztec. Yes. But voice acting in animation has gotten significantly worse with time. You watch a Disney film today, you do not get the quality of inflection. You do not get the animated vocal performances that you get in that film. And I'm not sure why. Uh, my urge is to blame the Clone Wars because everything sounds like the Clone Wars now. And the thing that people don't get about that is that the reason there was a flat affect in Clone Wars is because they're clones. Like that was the whole point. But everything has become that. And it's, it, it made me realize we live in such a culture of excess that we've ended up with a culture of excessive sameness. No one is allowed to, no one is allowed to deviate from the golden timeline. Everything must be familiar. Everything must be samey, samey. Everything must be a pre-existing property with a couple of changes that people shriek about. Mm -hmm. We live in the world of change one thing. There is, is no tolerance for mad genius anymore. And some people think that's what moderation looks like, but it is the exact opposite of moderation because true moderation allows for a few anomalous pops, a few, a few anomalous fireworks, right? If you are mm -hmm. truly living a moderate life, yes, you have those moments. That's the purpose of, you know, Judaism is for a lot of people, people tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. <laughs> but, you know, then we have things like Purim, which are, you know, Yom Kippur is coming up. That's a fast holiday. But Purim is a holiday devoted to excess. You're supposed to get bombed. You're supposed to get drunk on Purim. A lot of people don't because they don't like being drunk. I, I don't. I, I, I do not know. Um, it's very expensive for me to get it drunk. Is very unwise. It is very unwise for me to get drunk. I, I think it's great personally. <laughs> I personally like you drunk. I get a whole concert. Everybody starts looking at us in the space field in Seattle. That is a very, very fond for people who don't know mouse. You get one glass of red wine, red wine into mouse, and he starts singing, and it is fantastic. And I think we've just let everybody know who's the bad influence in this pairing. Yeah. But I maintain I'm a good influence. I think it's great. You know, if the in vino veritas is true, then music is truth <laughs> with mouse in her chest. It's, but then again, we don't do this all the time, right? No. 
<laughs> I mean, we don't go singing in 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 tourist attractions <laughs> all the time. But because we only do it every so often, it's funny instead yes. of instead of a reality TV show. Exactly. Right. Like <laughs> if, if we did that all the time, we would not be doing a critical thinking podcast. But somebody isn't somebody isn't a true intellectual if 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 they feel like they must be somber and serious all the time. All the time that's not temperance that's that's an extreme yeah like uh mike in fact that leads up to the closing quote that i have actually all right and it's um by lucius aeneas seneca and he said in his letters to lucilius our life should observe a happy medium between the ways of a sage and the ways of the world at large all men should admire it but they should understand it also all right you guys know the details in the broken clock podcast we're gonna leave it there thanks for listening and try to have a moderate amount of fun this week <laughs>